Welcome back to another episode of the Eddie Jones Coaching Podcast. Moving outside of rugby this week, hearing from a man who's coached the team to Olympic gold. And then there's a little bit of jealousy. I I, uh, I watch I watch Eddie's staff, and he's got people all mic'd up, and he has a kit, you know, kit guys that can move kit around. And, and uh, Eddie's having a good chuckle here, but um, you know I, I spend half half of my training session. <laughs> lumping and moving goals around the place. The Great Britain and England hockey head coach Danny Carey joins us as we talk about what hockey and rugby can learn from each other, how Eddie and Danny met and his coaching philosophy about culture over performance. We hope you enjoy it. Danny, uh, first of all, thanks massively for joining us on this. Uh, like, uh, We're very fortunate. Like, uh, just for the people who are tuning in who might know you, and I'm sure they're loads, we're joined by not just a someone who's coached at the very highest level, who's won Olympic Games, who's uh, bronze medals in Olympic Games, won European Championships, you know, won the lot, uh, had good times, bad times. And a lot of this, Danny, is what we've been talking about on our kind of our coaching journey is kind of getting across to people how you evolve as a coach through the, through the years. So I think before we bring Eddie in, what brought you into coaching in the first place? What, what drew you to it? And what, why are you so nuts, nuts about coaching, should we say? Um, yeah, I, I had no intention of, uh, of being a coach. Ironically, Connor, um, when I finished, when I finished studying at university, I ended up at, um, Borough Road and you were a mature student. Just uh, We were old, very mature student. <laughs> yeah, very mature. Remember those days? Yeah. And, um, that, that soon became part of Grinnell University and I, uh, was asked, uh, by a local, uh, national league team if I would uh, get involved and then I also got involved with coaching the university team there yeah I really enjoyed it I um I enjoyed the sort of challenge thinking about things sort of how we um how we set up practice enjoyed the challenge of some of the personalities involved um I have to say looking back I cringe at the way I used to do stuff but um I'm sure most people do and look back at their coaching careers and then probably maybe five or six years after that, um, I was asked to become involved with the National Junior Pathway. Um, and then really, you know, really things started to take off just in terms of my own interest in, in, in coaching as well as I could. There was a guy called Barry Dancer, who um, was the men's national coach. And uh, he... He was a really good guy, um, showed interest um, and just liked the way he went, went about his business. Uh, he then went actually back to Australia to coach Australia and he, he took Olympic gold in 2004 with Athens. Um, and so sort of getting involved in national junior teams really sort of lit the burners uh, and then became uh, involved with a, a team down in Canterbury and got an opportunity to sort of coach more consistently there and took the team to, to Europe and we were successful in Europe. And, uh, after that, I, you know, some years later, I then started, started to get involved in sort of sub senior international hockey, just with the, the group just below the senior group. And at that point, yeah, the ambitions then started to become maybe, you know, maybe it could be something I could do full time and professionally full time rather than sort of my very, uh, ordinary academic career. And then in two thousand, end of two thousand four five, uh, the women's national coach position became available, and 
I really applied just because it, uh, it was, I thought it'd be a good experience to try and understand the type of things they were looking for. And I think because I was so relaxed about it, um, <laughs> I probably came across relaxed in the interviews and um, was very fortunate to get the role very young, you know, very young. I think I was, well, I was 34 when I was appointed and 35 on January the 1st, 2005 when I started. So very young, very naive, very green. But um, I loved it. It was fantastic. Full time doing something that was you know, I found lit my uh, curiosities. Well, apart apart from apart from saying that your lecturing at Brunel University was uh, an ordinary academic career, I won't I won't take you up on that. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I uh, listen. There's loads. Part of some of the stuff we're taught, we we we'll focus a lot on the elite and what you've done and how you've evolved as a coach. But a lot of what Eddie and myself have talked about as well relates to a lot of people listening to this podcast are listening as young aspiring coaches or coaches that are immersed in their in their community but one of the things Eddie and myself have talked about loads uh, and is uh, how you learn from other sports and I'll just go to Eddie here Eddie like why were you drawn as a, an Australian coming over was it just Danny's success as a coach or what else drew you to actually talking to him because the two of you meet quite a lot now and, and talk a lot uh, what, what drew you to him uh well i remember when danny won the the gold medal um i remember hearing a few people talk about the way he coached and obviously winning the gold medal you got to do a lot of things right um and then hearing about his approach to coaching just wanted to find out a bit more and i've been lucky enough you know we've met on a number of occasions and I borrowed a number of ideas, stolen a number of ideas from the, the women's hockey and now the men's hockey. And, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a real benefit. And it's one of the beauties about being in, in, in England that you have access to so many good coaches and, and Danny's one of the best in England. And I suppose then, Danny, looking at you going from rugby, people think it's different sports, but the technical might be different. The non-technical could be absolutely the same. You're dealing with people. Uh, you're looking ahead to motivate them, bringing together huge teams. What did you, or what, what have you seen? Have you seen much from Eddie that you've brought back over to? Because Eddie, since you've been, you know, Eddie, uh, you've you'd won your Olympics. You'd, you, you've won so many medals along the way. Uh, what have you learned from Eddie to evolve your team? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the things I'm I'm going to be rolling out with the the men. Um, well, two main things I've been rolling out with the men is a concept. I, I, I'm not sure if it's prevalent through all of rugby, but I, I have a have a sense that uh, it's very applicable to our world. There, there was a session I watched that uh, that Eddie uh, Eddie and the coaches were running, and and they were literally going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing very very quickly. And I, and I was sort of I was looking at that in my world, thinking, you know, how, how are you getting how are you getting any good at the, the you know a part of the game, let alone all of the parts of the game? And sort of Eddie was saying two things: one is there's an element of preparation for a Six Nations match, but there's also an element of throwing them into the quick chaos of now we're looking at you know defending our depending on our try line now, we're looking at elements of you know, counter-attacking or whatever. And they're kind of, the athletes are quickly having to go one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And they're having to recall all elements of the game. And I often reflected on some of my own coaching where we will, we will be very good at going into a sort of particular area of focus for quite some extended period of time. But I possibly then some of other areas of our game may degrade. They may sort of, because they're not, 
having to recall it as frequently as they might. And I looked at that session from Eddie's and thought, okay, quite like that concept. They almost cover an entire game, every aspect of the game um, in very rapid bursts. And the athletes are forced to, right, switch on. What am I doing now? Right, okay, okay, now that's shifted. Now what am I doing now? And so that forced recall and the intensity of, uh, of match of kind of match play, but quickly flicking from different aspects to different aspects. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is just how they structure their week. Um, and again, I, I, I have a sense this is a little bit more normal um, about sort of installing concepts, uh, sort of Monday, Tuesday, um, and then more putting them under pressure in the latter half of the week. I've, I've kind of done that, but more through, uh, more through luck than judgment. Um, so we're going to take a little bit more orientated around the Monday, Tuesday is very much our installation um, around a certain concepts. And then Thursday, Friday is very much right under pressure, um, creating judgment, consequence, expectation um, and delivering on those sort of facets of the game that we've installed on a Monday, Tuesday. So they're two, two big ticket items. And then there's a little bit of jealousy. I I, uh, I watch I watch Eddie's staff and he's got people all mic'd up and he has a kit, you know, kit guys that can move kit around and and uh, Eddie's having a good chuckle here but um, you know I, I spend half half of my training session lumping and moving goals around the place and you know and actually over a period of you know several years that that's time lost and uh, the rugby guys they they, they don't lose that time. If you're feeling sorry for yourself, I felt very <laughs> sorry for my my, gir- my girls. My girls were getting a, a, a nice session and uh, a golf session the other the other day. They're they're able to do that now, socially distant a bit of golf, and they were hitting balls up in the range. It was and I went up to collect them, and uh, I said to the the golf instructor, I said, uh, "Oh, is there a tractor up here to pick up the balls?" And he went, "Nope." He said, "When the day is done, I go out and do it myself." Now that's a tough gig <laughs> as a coach. <laughs> Um, just something you touched on, we've talked uh, about this previously. So a lot of people go along to elite sessions. They'll go along to watch Eddie. They'll go along to watch you uh, take a session. They'll see this intensity. And I look at hockey, and, and hockey's the, the, a game and all netball that my girls play. Uh, and at a young age, and we, we have a lot of coaches listening in who will try and replicate what they believe and see at the highest level. But it's this... Uh, the balance between teaching skill at an early age and breaking that down and taking time over that as opposed to trying to replicate intensity. How do you see that? If people come along and watch you, do you think sometimes they might try and take away stuff that at their level they shouldn't be doing? Or what, what way do you look at that? I, uh, I I would say I'm not sure there should be a massive difference. Um my, my sense is that uh, the difference is possibly around the point that you sort of simplified enough that there's enough reward in their ability to be able to feel what's successful and also feel what's not successful. And maybe at international level, that's in a different place. But uh, my strong sense is, is that the good session design is good session design. And that, that may that may sit uncomfortably with some some coaches, but my sense is what we do with our international uh, athletes is applicable to junior athletes. It's just you're just changing your point at which the performers um, can have enough success, as I say, to okay, understanding why that's successful and enough failure to understand why that's not why that's not successful, and then broadening their range. 
of um, skills so they have a broader range to be successful. So you, you may take, you know, looking at ability to be penetrative. What does that mean? Look like physically. You know, what does that look like in terms of speed? What does that look like in terms of some of the technical skills? Um, are they limited in a rugby context to only passing off one hand? Okay, can you sort of um, create session design where they're forced to have to be able to pass off the other hand? Uh, and you're just trying to find that simplification point where, as I say, there's enough reward for this works and there's enough failure for mm, need to adjust this. Um, but it, yeah, I would say in principles, the session design are essentially the same. Um, again, I think people may mistake, you know, the intensity of senior international preparation and think, oh, I need to, I need to uh, recreate that with my with my juniors. But I would still argue that that element of why we play sport uh, and having having the game based uh, aspects at the right times, which creates the, some of the chaos that you're going to have to deal with in the game. I, I believe that's 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 why people play the game. That's why they enjoy it. Um, and for me, then you're de- de- developing really, really critical skills that sometimes go on on uh, tapped and not thought about. And that's just perceiving perceiving threat. That's a threat to my team. What do I do? What do we do? And perceiving opportunity. That's how we can go and score a goal. What do what do I do? What do we do? Um, and I think often when we sort of get you know, we lose sight of sometimes why people play the game. And I think you have to ensure there's a healthy dose of, um, of that, even with our senior athletes. You know, they, they play for a reason. And, and giving them the opportunity within session designs to really uh, remember why they enjoy playing the game. Yeah. Um, Eddie, when you, when you researched Danny, because I'm sure you did, because you do, you do, you do research everybody. When you researched Danny and you went to meet him for the first time, or he came into you, I don't know which which came first. Uh, were you attracted as well by the adversity Danny felt uh, faced as a coach? Because you look back, Danny, and, and you you look at the the you talk very openly about the review to the the Olympics and it was really hard hitting against you in Beijing and the reaction to that and how you had to evolve. Eddie, is that something that you, was that one of the year? Because you don't invite everyone. You get loads of people who look to come in and, and see you, but like not everyone comes in, do they? Um, is that one of the things that attracted you to Danny? Yeah, I think he's a learner. Um, and there's a lot of people who learn. I think at, at the moment it's almost trendy to be a learner. Um, but what I enjoy about Danny is he, he does it. Um, and, and as Danny was saying, you can't be afraid, afraid to fail, fail in coaching. You know, you've got to be able to experiment a little bit, find out what works, what doesn't work, and, and be smart enough to move on. And, you know, every time we have a conversation with Danny, we, we pick up a three or four points that then we take away, try to work out how we can... Um, Put it into our program, but I also I was just reading Danny's resume. Um, I didn't realise how academic it was, but it reminds me of some of the words he uses sometimes. Sometimes I have to go to my staff and say, "What did he mean by that?" <laughs> yeah, but Eddie, he's, he said he was he had an average academic career. Don't it it's an average academic. He's not very, even intelligent. He's not even intelligent. <laughs> very very modest, I think. And and. Can you talk us through that, Danny? Because that's uh, that resilience. You you talk about it amongst athletes. 
but for coaches at any level there has to be resilience because what players and people will say every day of the week is going to vary dependent on results on selection and you have to be pretty talk us through that post Beijing uh, bounce back so to speak or evolution of yourself yeah so um, a little bit of context Beijing Olympic Games we go in ranked pretty low I think we were the second lowest ranked team in Beijing and on, on paper we did okay we finished sixth um and uh, you know I'm, I'm standing in the olympic village as as the team is sort of doing a bit of a dispersal meeting and it's pretty obvious uh you know you had to be stupid to realize the athletes have got the got the hump with you that's i, I guess that's a polite word i can use on the podcast but you, you know you can just read the language um you can read the body language you know you, you knew that you'd lost the playing group um but I, at that point in time i you know i, I, I was sort of trying to work out what it was and how I'd lost them. Anyway, they, those athletes and the staff get to put, you know, get to do incredible level of detail in the Olympic review process. And essentially it boiled down to the fact that, um, you know, I was your classic uh, defeat the world with knowledge type coach. You know, it was, it was nothing to do with relationships. Um, so, I, you know, we'd, we'd lost our first game to Germany. Um, so I spent the night you know, reviewing the game. Um, you know, there's no sort of conversation with the athletes about how you're feeling. <laughs> Where do we go next? What you know, are you okay? There was none, none of that. It was all about hockey, 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 and what we're going. You know, what do we needed to improve from that game? Which you know, you still need that, but completely lost sight of this was for many of them the first time they'd ever played an Olympic Games. We'd lost. We played very late at night. We had to get ourselves ready to play Argentina, who were the current world champions at that point. So I was. Debrief uh, Germany, get ready for Argentina, hockey, hockey, hockey. No, nothing about relationships, nothing about sensing the mood, nothing that you know would try to regulate the group and where they needed to be to play for Argentina. I just worked on the assumption everyone was like me, you know, just understand what went wrong and correct that and crack on. Um, and get, get back, the debrief happens and the athletes. If I were to summarise it, um, I can't use the words they use, but they pretty much said I was grumpy, miserable and unapproachable. Um, and the only reason I really kept my job was the, the, uh, the performance director, David Faulkner, and the, um, the chairman of the board, Philip Kimberley, uh, sat in the room literally just putting stuff in front of me, literally page after page of this stuff in front of me. And I don't know, I think they got me on a lucky day because I, I, I remember what, reading this stuff and I was, you know, I was, I was hurt, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a human, I was pretty hurt because I felt I'd given everything. I really felt I'd you know, given every waking moment and some. Um, but reading this stuff, I was like, yeah, okay, actually, I can actually see why they, they've said that. I can see why they feel that. And, and that was literally how I felt at the time. Normally, you know, when you see that stuff, you kind of deny it, you're in denial about all that stuff. You rage and no, they, they don't understand and all that kind of stuff. But for whatever reason on that day, I was like, yeah, okay, I can understand why they said that. And then you had one of those classic moments in your life where I go home that evening. I felt pretty betrayed, particularly by some staff. It sort of, I felt stuck some long daggers in my back. Um, and you know, thinking right, well, that I didn't. That's it. That's my international career, sort of coaching career over. And I remember saying to my now wife, 
um, you know, how, how bad I felt, how low I felt. Uh, and she said, well, you're not really the kind of person they've described, are you? And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, you're, you're generally not miserable, grumpy and unapproachable. Um, so, um, emphasizing, emphasizing the generally. <laughs> yeah, the, the general. There was a caveat, of course. Yeah. And uh, I kind of thought, you know, you know, she t- just cut through that comment, just cut through, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that person. So why, why was I coaching the way I was coaching? There was some reflection on the way I'd been coached. and. Um, also just my academic career you know it was all about knowledge it was all about understand and you know move forward and and, and so my skills around relationships managing people managing groups empowering empowering athletes were were, were not good enough um unfortunately uh, david um, faulkner and philip kimberley thought right well we invested in a young coach he's going to make mistakes he's made them but on the surface of it we've we've had a good outcome and we're, we're going to have good funding now through to london 2012 we'll stick with him and um i was then really adamant i would try to become the best coach i could be in in every facet that imaginable um particularly starting with you know trying to empower groups of athletes trying to get them to own their performance working with them to do that, trying to build relationships, realizing with some of them, it was going to be an uphill battle. And to this day, some of those athletes, you know, they'll have a, what I wouldn't describe as a fully trusting relationship with me. They'll still be scarred by some of their experiences. Um, but work really hard in that, in that area of my game. Um, and that stuck with me. I mean, God, I'm sure Eddie, you'd have questions of this as well. We could talk and talk about this for ages and like hours, as opposed to just in a small podcast. In terms of your trust of staff that that hurt you and worked with them again, and your trust with those players that you're talking about, how long did that take for you to feel incredibly comfortable again in that environment, or you know, to develop that relationship that you could they could see you as a changed coach or a changed person? Yeah, I, I remember our first our first major trip after Beijing was a, a Champions Trophy tournament in Australia. So that's an awfully long way to go, isn't it? <laughs> with, a, with a with a group of staff and athletes. Small country, small country. It's okay. Yeah, um, and I remember the feedback after that trip. They talked about sort of in inverted commas, new Danny, and and always when people seem there's a bit there's a that little bit of level of you know, is this is this really him? Uh, type question um but they did they they talked about old danny new danny um in some of the feedback and again i sat, sat with the performance director he talked about that and sort of said well done you know you've tried to build some bridges and first steps um but don't get me wrong connor there are definitely some athletes that kind of stay with me all the way through to the gold medal in, in rio in 2016 that yeah the, we had good functioning coach athlete relationships but I still, you always sense that little element of, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe old Danny's still in there somewhere. I'm not, we're not, we're not so sure. Um, and in terms of staff, I was just very, I just talked to the elephant in the room with them and said, look, I'm really aware you've, you've written this stuff. I'm, I apologize. It's not me. I, I, I was trying to do the best I could do. Um, I didn't have the necessary sort of self-awareness. I didn't realize that's how I was making people feel. And, almost in, in being just open and frank about it, it sort of allowed, because the staff was sort of probably a little bit more mature about it, allowed us to move on and, and go forwards. 
Um, um, Eddie, what about you then? Is it just going on the? I'll use I'll use Danny's phrase. Old Eddie, new Eddie, uh, and and when does the old Eddie come out? All that. When, when was your? Have you had a moment quite as stark? I mean, everyone's had moments, but quite as stark as Danny's described in terms of that feedback and having to go back into a group like that. Uh, well, I haven't had it exactly like that uh, because rugby tends to be a bit more cutthroat. You know, when you you fail, you're gone, you're out the door, you got to get your stuff out in a certain period of time and then you don't get any feedback. But, you know, I got sacked from the Australian coach in 2005. Um, and when I look back, it's a very similar things to what Danny was saying. Uh, I didn't get that feedback, so I had to reflect myself and it took me about three or four years to really get to the core of it. Um, and it's painful. Yeah, it is. It is painful because you you think you're doing a great job, and then then you realise you haven't been doing a great job, and then you've got to find a way to change. And if you love the love coaching enough and love the sport enough, you find a way to change. Um, but I think you know there's always a bit lurking there that can come out at any any particular moment. So you've got to keep the lid on it pretty strongly. Yeah, but but that's a that's a good thing to have though. You you have to have that, don't you? I mean, whether Danny Eddie, I mean, you have to have the edge that there's not this. Uh, it, it's all about being the pal and the whole time. There has to be that line that you draw. It's just whether Danny they they see the old Danny and go, oh, here he goes again. He's not changed, sort of thing. But there has to be an edge. I, I almost at times have, um, I, well, I, I mean, I, as you may be aware, Connor, I've had a few health well, a health, big health issue. Uh, and as part of the reason, for, part of my, a significant reason for that was because um, almost I bottled stuff up too much. Um, and so I'd be, I'd be pretty fuming, shall I say, at sort of what I felt at times with athletes and groups and where I felt we just didn't live up to the standards that, that they had, that, that they had sort of uh, come together and decided this is how we're going to be and, and and because of some of the bitter experiences in the sort of earlier cycles, I'd, I'd found ways to sort of bottle that up. But the athletes still knew I was fuming, but I was still going through the, you know, the, the trying to bottle it up. What I've learned to do now, and it sounds really stupid, but it's a, you know, it's incredibly powerful. Now I literally just talk, uh, talk to my emotions. So rather than being physically angry, I will tell people I am angry <laughs> and so it, it comes out but in a way that people realize i'm um, you know that this is the line and we've we've crossed the line as a team we haven't delivered where we need to be and i will i will talk to that rather than sort of you know shouting and screaming but i'll just talk to it and it, it, it's a much more healthy way for me to be and it's also actually now athletes are more trusting of you because they know you're not bottling stuff up they know you're angry and you're not you know pretending not to be angry <laughs> so um you know, athletes see through stuff quick, quick as you like. And uh, now I'm just they know exactly where 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 I'm at, um, and that's been good for me. And going back to your academic side, I'll ask both of you this question, uh, Dan. You talk about uh, the, your philosophy of culture over performance, so that's a very uh, you could say it's a cliched phrase. The whole talk about culture now compared to maybe what it was six, eight years ago. Can you can you tell us what that means to you? What does because you've you've lived it in terms of what you've done over your I'll tell you regeneration. <laughs> when you look at the list of wins, it's a pretty big regeneration. But um, 
what what does that mean to you cultural performance and then eddie maybe you can you can chip in after that as well on your yeah. views on it yeah two 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 big ticket items one connor is um you know as if you if you're just if you're as the coach the person who's the holder of standards and expectations um then what happens when your back's turned um and you're not around um so what 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 you really need is is the athletes that the environment dictates the standards and the qualities of the way we do things um yeah so essentially when 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 after the men's team had this fantastic uh, uh, phrase kind of when the lights are off and um, you know what are we doing when the lights are off uh, and obviously there's a lot of giggles about that as well as you can imagine with a group of bloke athletes talking about when the lights are off but um yeah essentially it's performing with the lights off um and I think if you have a good environment it, it self my second point is that it self regulates it 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 means that the majority of the people are grabbing the outliers and bring it and that hang on a minute that this is where we're at and this is where we're going and it's just that ability to keep keep us on track keep the standards to where they need to be um yeah that's rather than it coming from say a head coach or the leader um so because when you're not around what then so that, that's my view of it eddie where where are you where do you sit in this uh i think it's almost the same thing culture and performance you know you're talking about standards of behavior so i think when people generally talk about culture they're talking about standards of behavior off the field but you know to perform at a high level you need massively high standards of behavior on the field and you know in international sport uh particularly when we don't have a lot of time we're we're just coaching behaviors we're not coaching skills and tactics we're coaching behaviours to try to get a, a cultural fit because we've got players from all different clubs that have got different different ideas of what right what is right and what's what's wrong and we're trying to fit them all together. So it's you know, it's the most intriguing part of the job and, and probably the most enjoyable and it's it's the most dynamic because it changes every day and, and, and every every minute it can change every minute of the day depending on, on what's happened before that. So that's the fascinating part of it. You never get on top of it. You never beat it, but you're always trying to improve it. Sure. When Danny was talking there about the um, what happens when the lights are off, when your back is turned, years and years ago, I went out to the Boletari Academy uh, and had a look at, at what they did. It's not just Boletari. It's, it's the whole IMG Academy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there were loads of different, but the Boletari was there and they have various different courts, but they put the cameras on the courts where there's a mass number of people with only one coach and they look one of the things they look at without telling the athletes is who's still practicing what they've been asked to do when the coach has gone on to another person and they make a call sometimes based on that because they see the person is going okay we're going to stop or we're and especially in a repetition sport like tennis who's got that mental ability it's incredible really isn't it? it's, it's in every sport um the the balance for both of you um, with players, psychologically, physically, uh, Danny, you mentioned about the World Cup and, and understanding it's the first, or, sorry, the Olympics, it's the first Olympics, like it's a massive thing versus the experience of someone who's been there before. So preparing 
Eddie's coming up to a period now. He'll have a hopefully a long period of time with the players in the autumn with the internationals, day in, day out with the players, versus a quick three-day camp when you're just together for a short period of time. How do you balance the physical and psychological in both those environments? The short, sharp shop or short, sharp shock period and this long period together. What's your? How do you go about doing that, Danny? Yeah, so we we have uh, you know, we have some amazing staff and they are incredible experts in their domain. I think my role as the head coach is to bring some of the experience of okay that may be the science of the physiology of peaking and that may be the the science around uh, sleep and so on. Um, but m- my job is to sort of understand uh, some of some of the emotions that the athletes go through, whether it's a long extended camp or it's going into Olympic village for the first time. And my job is to try and um, what I call is rather than periodizing a program physiologically, I'll I'll try and periodize a program from a a motivation slash mood uh, perspective. So um, if I use the example of London 2012, um, huge excitement you know normal olympics is just off the scale the home olympics is a whole different order and um so two things we did one is we actually took the took the entire team into the village we went into the village um and i said to everybody we're only going to do some light training in this first few days and then you can go and go fill your boots with all the distractions in the olympic village you know go and play in the arcades that are free and you know go to the dining hall where food is free and all that kind of stuff just get it out of your system and then we're going to go home for the weekend and then when we come back on monday and the tournament the olympic opening ceremony starts on friday when we come back in on monday it is game faces on and we are then just back to our everyday things that we do and you can then take real pride in these are the everyday things we do. And you can understand that our, our, our processes are, are really good. We've learned them over years and years and years and years. And we're doing nothing new. So nothing's going to surprise you. We know they work. And we're just going to stick to them. Um, and the athletes, so this is my second Olympics. <laughs> so the athletes in the debrief afterwards spoke you know, incredibly highly of, okay, the understanding of them as a group as they needed to go and have all that. Whoa, this is amazing. This is exciting. You know, we're Olympic Games. Uh, and then that space to go back, mentally get their heads back on and come back into the Olympic Village. And then they also spoke really strongly of the fact that we didn't introduce new stuff because it was Olympics. They felt very at home with their routines. Um, we lost in the 2012 Olympics. We lost a, a heartbreaking semi-final to Argentina 2-1. And then 36 hours later, we had to turn around and play New Zealand in the bronze medal. And we played brilliantly and we won, we won 3-0. And they, they put that down. Those athletes put it down to great pride in, uh, pride in themselves and the pride in their ability to reset after a heartbreaking win. And um, interestingly, when I was listening to some of the debriefs with the Kiwis, they say, you know, we, we couldn't find a way to get back up for, you know, for having lost, a, they'd lost their semi, obviously. They couldn't find a way to reset. Uh, and I think, I think the reason we found a way to reset was that I left the group to themselves after the, um, after the semi-final loss. I, I checked in with Kate as the captain in the leadership group, said, where are we at? So, yeah, we're really hanging here. We're in a dark place. Just leave us alone. Leave us to our recovery processes. 
And I did, literally didn't speak to them until the very quick pre-match briefing as a team. Looked kind of cliche thing. Looked them in the eye. Said, "Are we ready for this? Are we up?" You know. And the, and you could tell at that point we were gonna we were gonna smash them. Um, so reading 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 the group, managing your staff so they they don't become busy fools and try to bombard people with expertise keep doing what we've always done because there's real there's real power and confidence in in uh, in those processes and i think those type of skills as a head coach come over time with the hard lessons of getting it wrong previously well i, I love that phrase B- busy fools and i don't mean i'm going to go to eddie on this one eddie for the same question but when you're together the for long periods of time the thing of i have to be doing something is a major problem in the probably for staff more than anything it's almost if i have an hour well why am i doing something i should be busy sort of thing is is that a is that a danger you see that busy fool syndrome that'll be a nice phrase i'll use that in the future i like it is that a thing you've come across a lot uh, well i think the the interesting part about it and i was talking to uh, uh a guy that just finished coaching Super Rugby and he coached Super Rugby back when I coached Super Rugby and then he had a break for, for 15 years and went back and he said he couldn't understand how different it was. Like he came back, he had a squad of 60 players he had to look after, he had a staff of 25, whereas his first thing he had 30 players and 10 staff. And, he, and, and so we're asking players now to to have relationships with 25 staff, yeah. And that's difficult. And for some players, it's really difficult. So I think as, as Danny, I thought he answered the question brilliantly, is you just got to ch- check the temperature of the group all the time. What, are, what do they need? Um, and, and make sure, because sometimes your staff, because they're more focused on small areas, don't see that bigger picture. Yeah. And, and, and again, as Danny said, the head coach's job is to make sure they see the bigger picture and, and, and just add to it, not take away from it. Because every conversation you have with a player, you're either adding to their performance or taking away. You know, very rarely you're neutral. Yeah, and, and uh, maybe staffs are going to get smaller, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Go, we're, we're going full circle. Yeah. Going full circle. And it might, might be such a bad thing. Um, yeah. You know, make the players more self-regulated, make them more self-driven. They've shown in this period what they're capable of doing, which I think is, is, is a real credit to how young people can look after themselves these days. Uh, listen, I could, I could talk. There's one final question for both of you then because the length of time that you've coached and maybe we'll start with Danny. We'll go to Eddie on this. Through all your years, Danny, how do you stop people getting bored of your voice then? Is it that delegation? Because like, you've been there a long time and you've had to regenerate. So how do you get over that school teacher syndrome sort of thing, the, the, the lecture that's always there, the same voice? What, what do you do or is there any skill in it? Uh, there, there is a reality that if you're there as a national coach for that long, you know, some of the athletes who have been around for that long will, will get bored of it. Um, 
again, I remember reading some feedback uh, that was anonymous and it, it pretty hurt me, but they were absolutely right. They, they wrote, you know, I've in my entire international career of 14 years, I've had the same coach. I'd, I'd like some difference. And uh, I, re- I read that at the time. I was pretty hurt because I was thinking they've, they've got two Olympic medals around the neck, World Cup medals, European medals, you know. But it, it, but actually, on reflection, I thought, yeah, fair enough. If I'd been a player in their shoes, I'd probably want a different difference. Um, I, do, I do try and address it. I do try and just sometimes uh, be a little bit, just catch them and not give a, a dislocation of expectation to use a fancy phrase that Clive would have used a lot. Um, so yeah, just sometimes they're expecting something, they get something different and I do that deliberately. You can mix up the environment. I know that's something Eddie's done really well with the rugby lads, you know, not always Penny Hill Park. So you can, you can mix it up in different ways, but fundamentally when you're there for that long, sometimes it is a reality. It, it can be your strength. There's that being that consistency of this is the way we do things, but it can also be, you know, an undermining weakness if you're not careful. You can use staff, so you can change your staff around, which we've done, um, and there tends to be a natural churn of staff anyway, but you can bring in people occasionally just to change it up. But all the time you're making measured decisions about is that what we actually need now or is it just an athlete want? So I always, I always thinking, is it wants or needs now? What, what do they actually need versus what do they want? And, and often uh, it's, it's more around athlete, what they want, what they than rather than actually need. And I'm always kind of conscious of challenging athletes around that. Um, and going to Eddie's last point around, you know, if you've got the right athletes, they are they're going to be self-starters. And yes, they may be bored bored to the tears with you but they're still going to deliver they're still going to they're still going to give give what they need to do in this training session um yeah eddie your thoughts on that uh i can't add to that mate brilliant 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 um i'll uh danny could have talked all morning really really appreciate your time and joining myself and eddie and uh you know i can see well you just get a a vibe and an energy from just the way you talk about sport really really enjoyable and uh best of luck for the coming months and hopefully we'll see you then in bisham uh very very soon well um I, I, you know there's always an open door Eddie, eddie's obviously been down a few times but any anyone's you know at least people are listening we have lots of people come in and um and equally uh I, I love going to other environments you know it's the strangest things that you pick up on but do you think oh, okay that, that could be really useful so Thanks for inviting me. I've literally got to hot foot it to Bisham now. So <laughs> good on you, Danny. Yeah. See you Thanks, later. Mate. Look forward to catching up. Cheers. Yeah, you too, Cheers, Eddie. Guys. Thanks to Danny for coming on the Eddie Jones Coaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to keep leaving the reviews on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you listen. A few we received. James Duke says, So great to see the podcast back. I'm not a rugby coach, but I love the game and the insight Connor and Eddie bring. I'm an architect and I try and apply some of the coaching tips to my team. Keep up the good work. While the doc, 27, wrote, this is gold. Keep it coming. Well, the doc, we'll keep it going. We'll be back next week and speaking to a guest you don't want to miss with Australia's cricket head coach, Justin Langer. And trust me, you don't want to miss it. We hope you can join us then. Mm -hmm.